Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 280 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as ever, by the main man himself, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. He's the last voice on the intro every single week, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Eddie, how you doing, my man? I'm good, my brother. How you feeling? All good, my friend. All good. Uh, this is going to be quite a an easy formatted show this week I think we're going to do the review part in part one uh, we're going to just have the one guest this week which will be the former uh, two-time world title challenger Gavin McDonald. he will be joining us in the middle of the show and then of course in part two we'll do the preview part and we'll get the news in there somewhere in the middle again but anyway, with no further ado, let's get on to the review part. We're going to start here at the Wembley Arena in London, United Kingdom, of course. Um, starting on the undercard, Jordan Gill. Really good win for him, actually. He's now 26-1, and a unanimous decision over 10 rounds against Cesar Juarez, who's now 25-10. and It was for the vacant WBA international featherweight title. They were billing this guy up to be some kind of world-level fighter, which I couldn't believe they had the audacity to say that because he wasn't world-level. Um, but he he did still carry some threats. That's absolutely true. Um, however, Jordan Gill, he seems to have really, really improved over the kind of last, I guess, couple of years. Ever since he lost his O, he, he seems to have really improved. And his last win before this... I think it was against Reese Bellotti. Um, he's he's definitely clearly gone away and worked on a lot of his game, and it was another wide win for him in the end. Um, and yeah, like I say, very much improving. Uh, you couldn't tell which one was the Mexican because of the way his hairstyle is. I mean, he used to pretty much have a skinhead, and now he's got this big bushy afro with with a beard. Um, he looks like a caveman. He has got a lot of different looks, Jordan Gill. But he's a you know he's a he's a fighter that. Um, that you can quite easily be a fan of. I like Jordan Gill. Good win for him. Also on the card, we had uh, Robbie Davies Jr., 20-3 and three now. He lost a majority decision over 10 rounds to Gabriel Valenzuela, who's now 23-2 and two with a draw. It was for the vacant IBF Intercontinental Super Lightweight title. Davies Jr. down once in the third round. Valenzuela had a point deducted in the fourth for hitting on the break. This was a fight where I actually thought Valenzuela could pull off the upset. Um, I hate to say that because I really like Robbie Davies Jr. And he's been on the show and I wanted him to win. But I've got to admit, I actually um, fancied Valenzuela for the knockout upset after analysing his record. I thought he was a lot better than they were kind of, you know, saying he was, I guess. He didn't really... um, 
you know, he didn't really get viewed as a man that was going to pose much threats to Robbie Davies. And instead, they were concentrating on the other Mexican who Jordan Gill fought. I think they had the Mexicans confused because this was the better fighter, I think, of the two Mexicans. And, um, yeah, like I say, he put Davies down hard in the third round. He had a point deducted for hitting on the break in the fourth. I felt it was a little bit harsh from the referee. Um, he was a 6-1 to one underdog for the KO, and the referee, by the way, it was Mark Lyson. He was absolutely dreadful, his performance officiating, absolutely dreadful. Um, he took the point away really quickly from Valenzuela, but when it came to um, Robbie Davies, who just continued to rabbit punch consistently through the fight, all he kept doing was warning him, warning him, warning him, warning him, giving him a final warning about 10 times. His performance was terrible, and thankfully, um, thankfully, the right man in the end did get the decision. I was hoping that, you know, clearly the referee was saving Robbie Davies from a 10-8 round. Uh, or sorry, from an 8-10 round to him, you know, if he, if he took a point off Robbie Davies. So... I was happy that in the end, we didn't need those points, or I shouldn't say we, the Mexican didn't need those those points to actually still win the fight. So that was one good thing. Um, but yeah, he's going to have to bounce back, Robbie Davies. You know, he's 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 um, having a bit of a tough patch, really, that loss to Ritson, of course. And uh, yeah, I'm just not sure what's happening with him at the minute, but all the best to him. I like the guy. Uh, moving up the card once again, Florian Marku with a good win here. He's now 8-0 with a draw. A TKO for him in the 8th round against Ryland Charlton, who's now 6-1 with a draw. Charlton, uh, his corner threw the toweling in the end in that 8th round. Marku was actually down himself from a left hook in round 6. It was, it was a really intriguing fight going in. And Marku showed a lot of areas to his game, you know. He was boxing really well with his jab in the first round. Charlton was struggling to get on the inside. Marku was boxing really well again in the second. Uh, he caught Charlton as well with a good shot early in the round. But he didn't seem to jump on him. He was very patient, very relaxed. And I was just really impressed because he is known as a guy who comes out and tries to knock you out within a minute. And he was able to stay disciplined and box really smartly and, and you know, cleverly for a, for a vast period of time. Um, round four, Marku landed a huge shot. I couldn't believe Charlton didn't go down. He was all over the place uh, trying to hold on. And the bell the bell actually saved him badly in that round, round four there for Charlton. Uh, round five, again, more of the same. Impressive stuff from Marku. He was clever to, you know, to not come out all guns blazing straight away in that fifth round. He came out patiently. He continued to box. Um, so I gave him all of those first five rounds. But then in the sixth round, Marku, of course, goes down. It was a looping left hook from Ryland Charlton, absolutely out of nowhere. It seemed like Marku might have been tiring. So a 10-8 round for Charlton. All of a sudden, he was back in it. Um, round seven, Marku came out, though, and, you know, he responded brilliantly to being hurt. He hurt uh, Ryland Charlton badly in the dying seconds as well. And then in the eighth round, like I said, a towel got thrown in. Ryland didn't seem like he had much on his punches at that point. He was hurt. Both his eyes were swollen badly. He was done. He had no no chance of winning at that point, I don't think. So the corner, for me, did the right thing by saving their man there. Um, I, I quite like the corner work there. Um, and the main event, which was, of course, the most... I mean, the most... Wow. This fight was the most, what's the word, I guess, anticipated, highly anticipated fight for me of the weekend. 
um, that's stateside as well. I mean, this fight we were looking forward to for over two years. I think it was originally supposed to happen, unbelievably, I think it was 26 months ago, I believe, when the first you know, the first fight was supposed to have took place, I and mean, then it fell through on the day of the fight, but it did finally happen. David Avanessian, now 27-3 and three with a draw. He was able to TKO in six rounds the previously undefeated 2016 Olympian Josh Kelly, now 10-1 and one with a draw. Kelly was cut on the back of his head and above the right eye. He was down twice prior to that stoppage, and Mattel came in in the end in round six. It was for the EBU European welterweight title. Dav- uh, David Avanessian... A successful defense for him, and it was quite a strange ending because it seemed to all go wrong very, very rapidly for Josh Kelly. Round one, um, Kelly was beating Avanessian to the punch in the first round. He was putting his punches together nicely. I really liked what he was doing. Round two, Josh Kelly staggered Avanessian uh, to the back foot with a left hook over the top. Avanessian did then seem to kind of get woke up, and he started putting it on Kelly, and he got some nice shots for himself, some big shots, but Josh Kelly... Um, you know, was was able to kind of get back to it, and that's where the cut the cut happened on the back of his head in that second round. It was leaking down his chest and his back, so there was blood in front of him and behind him from that cut on his head. I wondered how he'd react to that as well, because there was a lot of blood. Uh, round three, a really close round for me. Both men had moments. I think I just about edged it to Kelly. Round four, what a round for Josh Kelly. Absolutely toyed with Avanessi, and he was making him miss. He was mocking him. He was totally schooling him in that round. However, Avanessian did cut uh, Josh Kelly's right eye. I think it might have been from a head clash. Um, but yeah, more cuts, more blood for, for, for Kelly's cut man to deal with at that point. Round five, Avanessian for me won that round. Uh, I think that was probably the only round I'd given him to that point. He was really putting the pressure on Josh Kelly. Kelly did land some lovely shots himself, but for the most part, he was outworked. I had it 4-1 after 5 in favor of Josh Kelly. And then in round 6, wow. I mean, just as Avanessian was getting closer to Kelly, both Kelly's gloves touched down uh, for the first knockdown. So it was one of those ones where he didn't actually go down, but both gloves touched the canvas. So he was given a count. And... He was on his way to a 10-8 round, and Avanessian smelt the blood and went for the kill. Um, He buckled the leg of Josh Kelly, and Kelly was just about on his way down as Adam Booth threw the towel in. An incredible, incredible statement there. Um, He was an underdog despite being the champion, um, David Avanessian, and the experience that he has. You know, you cannot buy experience. Josh Kelly was a phenomenal amateur um, you know, undefeated pro, but at David Avanessian, he's been out there in the States, he's boxed Shane Mosley, he's boxed Lamont Peterson, this is a guy who has, has for most of his big fights, been traveling on the road, he's been out to Spain and boxed the undefeated big punch in Kerman Laharaga, who took apart people like Bradley Skeet and Frankie Gavin, this guy is the real deal, um, Josh Kelly, I think he can bounce back. I think his his next fight, his comeback fight, um, will 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 be a big one because I think they have to be careful how they match him now. I still think he's one of the best welterweights we have in the country. Um, I still think he's got such a bright future, but I don't know. It all seemed to unravel so quickly. And I just couldn't believe the towel came in. I was so shocked. But yeah, he can come back. There's big fights for him at welterweight. I think 
perhaps throw him in there with the winner of like McKinson and Congo, something like that. Um, I don't think he should just fade away. He's still got so much to like about him. He's got a great style. Um, you know, he's got the looks, he's got the personality. He really has got it all. Um, so yeah, I want to see him back as Fravenesian, um, you know, perhaps a world title shot for him. You know, he has done things the hard way. He's never had anything given to him. And yeah, even though the fight was supposed to take place two years ago, we all kind of felt that Josh Kelly, you know, having this two-year delay, it would probably be beneficial to him rather than David Avanesian, who I think's in his in his got to be in his 30s somewhere now, mid-30s, something like that. Josh Kelly's still a young guy. I think he's 26. So yeah, everyone thought it was going to be the right time for Kelly, but it wasn't to be. Um, yeah, all the best to him, all the best to David Avanesian, uh, both guys, friends of the show. That's it for the Wembley Arena. A lot a lot to talk about there, of course, like I say. Moving out now to the Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut, USA. This one was on Showtime. On the undercard, going to fly through this as quick as possible here. Rache Warren with a win. He's now 18-3. and three. He was able to beat Sharon Carter, who's now 12 and four. Robert Easter Jr., 23 and 1 with a draw. A unanimous decision for him against Ryan Martin, who's now 24 and 2. I really liked Ryan Martin's corner as well. They were telling him no BS. They were literally telling him how it is. They were really, really frustrated with him. Um it was just a night of many, many upsets. Like I say, you know, we spoke about Robbie Davies getting upset, even though he was the uh, the challenger, Josh Kelly, in some ways, was upset. Um, and then, yeah, coming out here, I think Robert Easter against Ryan Martin was somewhat of a close-ish fight on paper before the fight. But, um, yeah, I just don't know what it is with Ryan Martin. I think he's got all the tools, but when it comes to fight night, it just seems like he can't quite get the recipe right. He's got all the ingredients, but he's useless um, with, with, with with making something of them when it really matters, it seems. But a good win for Robert Easter, you know, I want to see him in a big fight. He seemed to have disappeared after losing to Mikey Garcia a few years back, and he's not really done much since, so it's a good it's a good name for his record. Zachary Choa, 21-1 going in against Juan Velasco, who was 22-2 going in. This was an interesting one because Velasco is very much an opponent. Um... You know, he's not too bad of a fighter, but he has been the opponent in his two losses, and they were his two biggest fights. He lost to, like I say, Mario Barrios and Regis Progre. And he got in there with Zachary Ochoa. I believe Ochoa was the favorite. And if I'm right in saying that, then it was another upset because Ochoa lost a split decision over 10 rounds to Juan Velasco. That's a good win for him, actually. I quite I quite liked hearing about that one because I don't think they televised it. Um... The main event, in fact, no, sorry, not, not the main event, just before getting on to the main event, a heavyweight scrap, I'm going to come to you, Eddie, here, Otto Wallin, now 22-1, he took on Dominic Brazil, who's now 20-3, a unanimous decision in the end for Otto Wallin, I think the smart money probably would have predicted that, because Dominic Brazil... Um, he is a tough guy. He is a tough guy. I remember, um, I mean, he didn't look it against Wilder, but Wilder literally has a shotgun in both hands when he fights. Um, he showed some real kind of, um, what's the word, like um, stubbornness against Anthony Joshua. I remember, I think he went down a few times, kept getting up, and it, it, you know, it, it was a fight where I think he may have even took Joshua the longest he'd gone at that period of time, but... 
yeah, Wallin, you know, he's not the biggest puncher, but he's quite active for being a big guy. And he's got a style that I think could be troubling to some of the guys on that fringe level. Right after the fight, I said I wouldn't mind seeing him fight Joseph Parker, someone like that. But anyway, forget about what I think, Eddie. What did you think of the main event? Oh, not the main event, the chief support. Uh, honestly, um, he he looked good, and he did some really good things. I mean, he showed his class, but, and I'm not trying to knock fighters because I know, you know, I understand the grind. I understand what they have to do, and and when you get in there, you know, it, it takes a lot of heart and a, you know, a lot of determination, which he has. Dominic Brazil, I'm talking about. But I think Dominic Brazil really made him look even better. You know, he made him look like he's a, you know, a real live contender, which, yeah, he is. But, I mean, he made him look, I think, even better than that. Like, I know there's probably a lot of people out there. You know, like I got seen J-Rock comment on it. You know, Julian Williams comment on it, like, oh, well, I got to add him to a list of guys I want to watch more because, you know, he looked so good and he was because he was so dominant in, in most of the fight. And I mean, at the end, you started to see the fight kind of play out to where Dominic Brazil would actually start connecting. He started going to the body a little bit more, but he was just so wild and so out of place and so slow that it made it made it it was really making it easy for him to pick him apart. Because even if you're slower and you close the gap and you figure out you you start landing shots to the body, you start doing you know those types of you like kind of maul him, make it a hard fight, make it a little ugly. You can get some, you can have some success, which he started to do. But it's just the way that it was happening. Like he was throwing wild shots, almost like his eyes would be closed. He was turning away from punches. Like, look, I'm not trying to you know throw dirt on the guy right now in this situation, but the reality of it is. When you have the amateur background that he had, you went to the level you did in the amateurs, and then you've been to the, the levels he's been as a pro and fight for the uh, title twice, you should not look like that, no matter what weight class you're in. And Otto Wallen just did what, you know, he just t- he just took what was there, you know what I mean? And It was open, and he took it. You know what I mean? There were so many, I, he could not miss with the left hand. Uh, uh, his, his, his understanding, his, him understanding range better, obviously, than Dominic Brazil was obviously a, a real weapon in that. He and he, he would periodically, though, one thing that bothered me a little bit about Wallen is he would get on the ropes. And I think that he needed to move like he was moving, but I feel like he should stand up to him a little bit more. Because the shots he was throwing, you could see him. So what's the point in going backwards when... You know what I mean? Maybe that's his style. Maybe that's how he likes to do it. But when he fought Tyson, he was coming forward. So it, it was a different, a different kind of thing. But it just, it just made him look so, so much better. I mean, the kid did look good. He did, he did some good things in there. You know, the, the, the shots he was throwing, a lot of the, a lot of the moves he was making. It was, it was smart move. He fought smart. He won. He did what he was supposed to do. But Brazil just had a, I think he had a rough night out there. And that's really at the end of the day, what, uh, what I thought was the difference in. In the fight is that just Brazil was just not ready. I, I'm not gonna say he didn't come to fight because he did. He tried. He really put a lot of effort in. Uh, he took a lot of punishment, but it was just it just didn't look like he had his A game when, when we're talking about skills and and, and IQ uh, on the night. Yeah, you're right, you know, uh, Brazil didn't show up in the best of shape, but then again, he doesn't often do that anyway, but, you know, it was a total whitewash in the end, and for me, it was quite a statement uh, from Wallin because, you know, it's not his fault that 
Dominic fought with such such a bad game plan, it would seem, because all Brazil seemed to keep doing was walking forward in straight lines, just kind of, you know, not really cutting off the ring, just keep coming into the punches, really, and he didn't block anything. I think if if uh, if there would have been lightning striking in the sky, that would have probably hit him as well. Everything hit him that night. Um, yeah, I think Wallin, though, is, is, is going to be a problem for a lot of guys, like I say. I wouldn't mind seeing him in with with um, someone even like a Charles Martin. I, I like weird fights like that. I'm a I'm a lover of weird heavyweight fights. I remember before, years ago, you know, really wanting to see Chris Ariola and Derek Chisora fight. I think that would be a weird oh, that, one. I, I, weird, but extremely exciting. Like, that would have been a great fight to watch. I mean, I agree with you on that one. I mean, a great fight to watch if you want to see... If you want to see them, you know, just somebody beating up on each other, two guys beating up on each other, because that's exactly what that would have been. But I think it would have been a good fight to watch. Yeah, I like I like those those kind of obscure fights with the the heavyweights at the back end of the top ten. Like if you mix, you know, I could sit here all day talking about weird styles and stuff like that in the heavyweight division. But yeah, Brazil, you know, badly bruised eyes. Um, Wallin just frustrated him from early on and just completely outgunned him. Uh, the main event, Adrian Broner, he was back. Um, a win for him. Quite controversial in a lot of people's eyes, by the way. He's now 34-4 and four with a draw. Um, a unanimous decision over 12 rounds against uh, Giovanni Santiago, who has lost his O. He's now 14-1 and one with a draw. Santiago was deducted a point for hitting after the bell. Um, can't remember what round that was now, but... I think Broner hit him first after the bell, then he retaliated. So the commentators were saying that perhaps both guys should have had a point deducted there, but they only took one away from Santiago. But even with the point deduction, uh, even with the point deduction, um, the 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 unofficial scorer, I think it was Steve Farhood, he still gave the fight to Santiago, and we saw what Broner thought of his uh, scorecard afterwards when he uh, said F. Uh, Steve Farhood. So, um, what did you think of of, of Adrian Broner's his his return comeback fight there, Eddie? You know, he's he's just he's a he's an enigma. He's By just... the way, let me just say there was actually a a round. I think it was round one or something like that where he won the round. I think on two out of the three judges' scorecards, and according to the punch stats, he didn't even yeah. land a single punch. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, go on. Strange. That was strange, <laughs> but um, but yeah, he's just one of those guys, man. Has so much talent, man. He just it's 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 unbelievable to see a guy like him just let his talent kind of go to waste because he just and I like I say he let it go to waste because he did you know he he did some things, and uh, you know in his career he's been a like what a four time world champion, so it, it's been uh he's had a career. But it's just like I feel like he could have been so much more dominant if he would have just been more disciplined, stayed at one particular weight class for a long enough time, would have been disciplined enough to keep eating, have the right diet, have the right, you know, mindset toward everything. And he would have just been so much, I think he would have been even more successful. But he's just he's been so enamored with the celebrity lifestyle and being so much like Floyd that he lost his way. Like he they done had porn out. He done had all kind of stuff. He done in jail. He been all over the place doing all kind of stuff. And he even mentioned it afterwards. He was like, "Man, I really need to stay busy because it keeps me from getting into trouble." And it makes a lot of sense. He start. I think he's starting to get older. He's starting to realize. And I, 
starting to get a little wiser. You know what I mean? He's going to start getting some gray in his beard one of these days, and he's going to look back, and he's going to be like, damn, man, I, yeah, I, I definitely should have stayed busier at times and stopped being so much with the, with the, with the party lifestyle. And like I said, he just has so much talent. So when he's doing stuff, you see a lot of the stuff that's going on and, and how he's throwing shots off of these these awkward moves. And, and it's like he has it. He really has it. But he's not busy enough. He's talking in too much. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm I'm one of those guys, too, to get in there and I start feeling it and I feel good. And, and not so much I'll talk, but I'll make faces. I'll be enjoying myself. But, you know, it is a fine line. You know what I'm saying? You can hear uh, – um, the ref and they're telling him, and I and I had he ref a few of my fights too, but he, he's telling him stop talking, Adrian. Just work, just fight. And I'm watching it and I'm sitting there thinking like, he could be he could talk as much as he want. I don't think that's something that the ref really has a place to say necessarily, unless it's getting a little too out of out of hand. But he, he it's just he needs to focus and 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 box and just take care of that, and everything else will fall into place for him. You know what I mean? This guy really, this kid was only what? Yeah, what, 15 or yeah, 15, I think 15 and 0 or 15, 0 and 1 or something like that. He was before, you know, you know, at the fight in the fight. And I mean, at times he was outworking Adrian Broome. And he legitimately had a case to say that he probably should have won the fight. I don't necessarily think so. I think there were rounds in there that were close, but I thought Adrian did better work because he was landing the shots cleaner, but the guy was just busier. And I'm like I said, I understand it because I have that kind of a that kind of style where I'm looking a lot of times for a perfect opportunity, and there is no perfect opportunity. You just need to take advantage of the opportunities that come up when they do. But uh, so I can kind of understand where he's look where he's where he's coming from with some of the moves he made, some of the times he didn't throw shots. But he just needs to, like I said, he just needs to stay busy, stay focused. He needs to be a little more active, not just in having fights, but active also in the ring. He has the speed. He can throw combinations. He can do all of that stuff. He just really needs to get out of his own way. That's, that's at the end of the day, what the biggest issue with Adrian Broner is, is himself. Everything else that goes on in his life and in his career, what everyone else has to say or whatever, doesn't even matter. He needs to lock in on himself and make sure he gets out of the party lifestyle, get a little, you know what I mean, hang around some old heads, some dudes that really know what, what to do and how to stay away from trouble. You know what I mean? Maybe something that has been in trouble before and they really can give you the game. But the reality of it is he's got he's to stay focused on what he's got in front of him. He's got to take boxing a whole a hell of a lot more serious because it's dangerous. And um, it's right now his only shot. So he's going to have to go ahead and go back to the drawing board. He got away with one, not saying that he, I thought he lost, but he got away with one because they definitely could have went the other way in a lot of ways. But um, he really has to focus and just get back on get back to business yeah and the scorecards were spoke about which was you know upset him once again i think in the end the final scorecards max de luca um 87 82 for brona so by five uh, sorry no that's that's completely wrong that's a different card my apologies um glenn feldman 115 112 for brona um 
Oh, the other judge, can't remember his name, he had it 116-111, which some people weren't happy with that. And then the final one, the most um, the most widest of all, 117-110. I mean, these scorecards did not reflect the, the fight itself. One thing you said last week, Eddie, that I really liked, and we're going to move on from this now, but you said that, you know, Adrian Broner tried to be Floyd Mayweather before he was really even Adrian Broner, and that that I really understood the meaning of that. That was such a really powerful statement. I really liked uh, that description that you came out. That was that was a brilliant line. Um, yeah, it's all good, man. <laughs> but anyway, moving out now to the bubble in the MGM Grand Las Vegas, Nevada on this undercard. Not much, actually, to mention on the undercard. A win for Gabriel Flores Jr. He's now 20-0. A TKO in the sixth round against Jason Velez. That's quite a statement because not... Not many people managed to stop Velez. He's now 29-8 and eight with a draw. Um, Esquiva Falcao as well. I think he was in the 2012 Olympics or something like that. Um, he's now 28-0, and 0, a retirement win against Arta Akovov. That is a really big statement because Arta Akovov... Um, can't remember who his first career loss was to, but his other loss came to Billy Joe Saunders in a fight where many people thought he beat Billy Joe Saunders, and his other loss was to Demetrius Andrade, where the referee randomly stopped it in the last round with about 30 seconds to go, and he was it was it was just a really, really strange decision. There's no way in the world he should have been stopped. So to actually legitimately stop him and have him retire after four rounds is very impressive. I want to see more there from Esquiva Falcao, who's now 28-0. and um, And the main event, oh my lord, he made us all eat our words. Another upset on a weekend mm-hmm. full of them. Miguel Bichel, the champion, defending the title 37-2 and now. Um, he was KO'd in the 10th round against the much smaller man, Oscar Valdez, who's now 29-0. and um, It was for, of course, the WBC Super Featherweight World title. Bichel down in rounds 4, 9, and then finally, brutally in the 10th. Um, really, really, really intriguing fight. Uh, I remember... You know, I remember speaking about it in the build-up and stuff like that. No one really gave Oscar Valdez a chance because, like we said, he was a smaller guy moving up. In terms of stature, he was much smaller than Bichelt. Bichelt's a huge puncher. No one really wanted to go near him out of the other champions at Super Featherweight. And, you know, Valdez, he's been hit. He's been put down. I just thought there's there's no way he's going to win. And a lot of people are saying, is this is this upset of the year? I'm not quite sure if I'd say it's upset of the year. I think Josh Warrington losing to that unknown guy was bigger than that because we know Oscar Valdez is a world-level fighter, whereas Maurizio Lara, we didn't know, we we barely didn't even know his name. So um, Oscar Valdez is a proven, legitimate world title, uh, you know, world-level kind of fighter, but to do what he did, I mean, yeah, it was unexpected. It, it, I suppose it does go down as an upset, but more importantly for me, it's the front runner at the minute for knockout of the year. Oh boy. Um, round one and two, you know, really bright starts to, to, to the fight from Valdez. He bloodied up the nose of Bichelle in that second round. I like the way he was moving a lot. He was using his faster feet. He wasn't allowing Bichelle to cut the ring off. Round four, Bichelle, you know, was ruled down. He kind of fell into the ropes. They held him up. Uh, it all started with Valdez landing a left hook high on the temple of Bichelle. He was on wobbly legs straight away from that point onwards, and he was caught multiple times with heavy shots, and yeah, I think he was even saved by the bell. Round five, for me, 
Um, another good round for Valdez. He hurt Bashelt several times in the round. The speed and power of Valdez was causing Bashelt serious problems. Round six, Bashelt came out and responded really well, and for me, actually won that round. I thought, oh, perhaps we're going to see the fight turn a bit. Um, Valdez did seem to abandon his tactics for two or three rounds in the mid part of the fight, but then he did get back to what was working for him early on. Uh, Valdez was even switching stances right, um, you know, right in the thick of the action during the fight. In the ninth round, Valdez dropped Bashelt properly this time for me, a right uppercut and a left hook, followed by one or two more as Bashelt was on the way down. And then, like I say, in the 10th and final round, wow is all I can say. Uh, right on the bell as well to finish the round. Bashelt was lunging at Valdez. He was missing, and Valdez was walking backwards and ducking as Bashelt was, you know, throwing these rights and left hooks, walking forward. And uh, Valdez just popped back up with a huge left hook, devastating knockout. Uh, Bashelt was on the floor. He wasn't moving for a few seconds. It was a scary KO. Um, I think we're probably not going to see a better KO all year. Um... Best performance of Valdez's career for me. I would have even said before the fight, I think he's a little bit shot. He's been in so many wars. He's been down a bunch of times against guys he shouldn't have really been down against. And I thought he'd get stopped. You know, he was really disciplined. He boxed like I didn't think he could box. What an incredible performance. You know, such a smaller guy. He was absolutely brilliant. Him against Shakur Stevenson is a fight that everyone now wants to see. And based upon that, I tell you what, I wouldn't want to bet against Valdez. I'm not saying I'm, I'm betting against Stevenson. I'm saying I would not want to bet against Valdez. Um, I, I didn't think Valdez would have any defense. You know, I thought he'd be getting hit a lot. He was incredible. And he's obviously linked up with um, Canelo's training team. I forgot the guy's name now. But, you know, what a stable they've now got of Mexican badasses, I'm going to say. They, they're they all incredible. Um, I thought it'd be a firefight in a phone booth. But he boxed and moved and... I don't know. It, it was like, who is this guy and what have they done with the usual Oscar Valdez? Um, I still forgot the trainer's name, but uh, Eddie Rain Is it Reynoso? Yeah, I think Eddie Reynoso. Um, I think he's got a son as well. What's the son's name? I think, is Eddie the older guy? I think Eddie's the dad or whatever. Anyway, the, the Reynosos. Wow. They know their stuff. Um, Eddie, I'm sure you must have seen the KO or more of the fight aside from the KO. Unbelievable. I seen the I seen the knockout and I was like, damn, because I remember what I said, and it was more because I really didn't have a lot of information on him, so it wasn't like I could give an accurate description. I've seen Brashell fight before and I seen how tough he is and how hard he punches and everything, and I was like, yeah, he's dangerous in that way. I mean, not this kind of style necessarily that I like, but he's still a dangerous dude. And if there's a small guy coming up, that's a puncher, but you know, a guy that's easy, not easily hit. I don't want to say easily hit, but but is a normal target that you can actually, you know, tee off on. Plus, he's smaller. I just didn't think he would have much of a chance from just on paper. But fights aren't fought on paper. Obviously, they're fought in the ring. And when and when things happen, as they do, like these shocking results, is basically on when a guy makes a, an adjustment. And who's better at adjusting? And obviously, from you know. The way up from what I've seen and what I've heard and, and just the, uh, the the result of the fight, he obviously made the adjustment better. So when he came in there and he obviously surprised the hell out of this guy, uh, Bruchelk, but um, man, from what I've seen in the knockout was as advertised, it was a, it was a crazy knockout, but yeah, man, he, he shut a lot of people up <laughs> that, that night. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the final fight to mention of the review part, a strange one in Russia, actually, at the Vegas City Hall. This one took place on Saturday the 20th. Um, Fedor Chudinov, 23-2, another fight where I thought he is probably going to win on points or he's going to lose on points. It's definitely going the distance. He boxed Isaac Chilemba, the teak tough. Um, I think he's is he South African, I think, Chilemba. Anyway, 26-7 and seven with two draws going in. Um, a lot of people were scoring the fight on Twitter. I didn't actually watch it, but I knew that it's just a weird fight. Why would Chudinov want to fight someone like... Uh, like Chilemba, no one ever looks good against Chilemba, especially someone like Fedor Chudinov, so um, it was a weird fight from the off, and it ended in a draw, Um, and a lot of people, like I said, that were scoring it on Twitter, had it to Chudinov, and Chudinov, you know, he gets decisions that I don't think he deserves sometimes, so we all expected in Russia, he's going to get robbed, they're going to easily rob um, Chilemba, who is always in the opposite corner really he's always in the opponent corner you know so yeah he's a bit of a b-side type of guy I thought they'd rob him but actually it ended in a in a draw when perhaps Chudinov should have just won fair and square but uh yeah that's that one uh that is it though for the review part just before we wrap up part one the final thing to do is to welcome our sole guest on this week's podcast Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former European super bantamweight champion and two-time world title challenger. It is, of course, Mr. Gavin McDonald. Gavin, welcome back on the show, my man. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been. Yeah, it's nice to be uh, back doing these interviews and, and back on the scene. Absolutely. It's great to have you back. So, Gav, we last spoke in August of 2018. It was just before that Danny Roman fight. Obviously, you went out to Chicago. You left it all in the ring, which everyone expected you to do. You gave it your best. The scores were close on two of the cards, uh, but ultimately you were stopped in the 10th. Just give us a couple words on that. Another another big fight for yourself. Yeah, um, a world title fight um, out in Chicago. And I mean, I left it all in the ring and end of the day sometimes you just beat by the better man and um Danny Roman uh, that night he was he, he was better than me and fair play to him. Um you know what I mean he got the win and, and defended his title. Yeah, and I think since then he's kind of proved that he's, you know, a, a really good fighter. Obviously he's lost the belt now, but you know, a very, very good fighter. I don't think he perhaps uh, was known, especially to UK fans, as much back then. Um, obviously, you've come back with two wins against Jamie Spate and Nathan Kirk. Come fight night, though, you'd have been out the ring for 15 months. Your opponent actually boxed twice in 2020. Uh, what do you know about Andoni Gargo, Gav? Um, yeah, he's European champion. Um, he's, he has been, well, obviously, with this pandemic, he's been champion for a while, so I've been mandated. Final, I think for a year. Um, I watched his videos, his tapes. Um, in is a lot short. He's a lot shorter than me. He's not as experienced. Um, I think a lot of things stack in my favour. Um, and obviously he hasn't chosen to fight me. I mean, a lot of his fights, he's, he's picked who he wanted to fight and whatnot. But he he's got to fight me. So um, we'll see how how he is up against the the best. And I remember him boxing Lee Selby a few years back, but since losing to Selby, I think it's fair to say he's improved quite a bit. Uh, the fight is obviously taking place in Barcelona in his backyard. That's something that's not in your favour. Have you got any qualms about travelling out there, Gav? No, I mean, uh, travelling don't don't phase uh, 
don't face a lot of fighters. I mean, it don't it don't us. We've, we've been travelling on the road. We've we've been all over. Do you know what I mean? It's uh, and as well, there's no crowd, so it's different if you're going into someone's backyard and they've got five, ten thousand um, of their fans, and you've just got a couple of family members in your team. Then it's different, but this either fight could be anywhere in the world. Do you know what I mean? Bottom line is there's his, his corner team, my corner team, and and and, um, and TV production. So that that that's it. So it's, it's as fair as it comes. Um, it's in Barcelona, but could be anywhere really. And as I said, I think he's improved since losing to Selby. Like you say, he's European champion. He's been champ for a while. Does it give you that excitement that I'm guessing you probably need at this stage in your career, Gav, fighting to become a two-weight European champion, which I think maybe one or two people have ever done before in the UK? Yeah. This, this, would you know when you've, you've, been, um, you've been up there, um, you've had all these big nights, and then, and then when you get beaten... You sort of like get forgotten about and stop getting talked about, and and obviously this with this pandemic and we don't know when you're fighting. So to have it all again, it just makes me appreciate it uh, more than anything. I'm just enjoying it, like just taking it all in my stride, enjoying it because for a year it's been taken away um, the fight game. Um, we've, I, I'm training all the time. I mean. That's always in me. I, I love training. Um, so I've always been active, not so much in boxing gym, but at home. Um, I've been training. So um, it's nice to get fight nose, and it does give you that little bit more motivation, what you need. And uh, and, and look at the, the title I'm fighting for, European uh, title. To win it once was massive. That, that was my, my goal. But to do it again at, at two weights, I mean, it makes it special. And what is the end goal, Gavin? I'm guessing it is at some point to get another shot at a world title. Um, you know, right now in Britain, the featherweight division is kind of on fire, I guess. Obviously, with the uh, the unfortunate thing that happened with Josh Warrington. Now you've got Galahad and um, and Jazza Dickens fighting uh, f- for the vacant belt. Um, have you got any kind of interest in that fight? Do you, do you, do you want to give a prediction, if anything? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, it's a good fight. I mean. It's sad what happened with Josh. I mean, um, fair play to Lara, but Josh got beat, and then obviously it goes down to the next two, which is, is Kid Gallagher and, and Jazza. So the belt will be staying in UK, and the kid I'm, I'm fighting, he, I think he's he's ranked four or five. So the, the, them two are fighting for vacant title, and then I think there's another kid, and then Andoni Gargo. So when I beat him, oh all going well, then I should bump up the rankings and, and it should put me in line there for a fight against them. So, I mean, the goal still a world title. So, it always has been, um, I'm in boxing for Gloria and, and that's it. If I didn't think I could achieve uh, these special nights, I wouldn't be in it. Um, and, and I still believe there's, there's, there's big nights in me and uh, clinging on to the world title. And that, that's the main focus. That's the goal. Um, so we'll pick this European title up, um, and then and then we we'll see what options are. And I've got to ask, how's your brother Jamie getting on? I remember speaking to him just before he went out to Japan to fight Inoue, but I haven't spoke to him since. Uh, how's he getting on, Gav? Yeah, he's doing well. Um, like he's just like everyone else, just plodding on with life. Uh, it's a missing gym. It comes down as a week or two, and then he, obviously we we 
we, we went back to work doing uh, plastering, just like everybody else, uh, pick tools back up while it's all going off and uh, all going well, he can get some momentum in gym and, and, and get a fight day itself. Okay, fingers crossed. That'll be an exciting comeback as well. Um, I saw you did some rounds with young Campbell Hatton. Um, obviously, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be just huge public interest seeing his career develop. Um, just give me a couple of words. What was that like? How bright do you think his future will be, Gav? He's very good, young Campbell. Um, it was nice to go down there because um, obviously we've just been in, in, in our gym. So we went down there with Matthew and uh, Campbell and a couple of... Ray and, and Lee, we, we went down and done some sparring. It was nice to get some outside sparring. And uh, just seeing young Campbell, like, it'd be nice to get another, I, I said to him while I was down there, it's not like uh, another Ricky Atten because you, you're your own fighter and whatnot, but like to get somebody who could have the following like that, you know, like the Josh Warrington, he will get a momentum, but to have someone like that, and I said to him, I'd be following him all over. Um, all going well, and he is a good fighter. Do you know what I mean? He ain't even had a fight yet, and he's a good little fighter. So I'm looking forward to watching his progression, and and, and I'll be there uh, supporting him all the way. Yeah, brilliant words. As we all feel the same. Uh, just finally, Gav, before we let you go, if you've got any closing words, like I say, it's been uh, quite a while. It's been over two years since we last spoke. If you want to sign out of any words to the listeners, or you want to thank any sponsors, or whatever you want to do, the floor is yours, my friend. Yeah, I mean, the the sponsors will, will come on board for this fight. I mean, in the current situation, I mean, I, I'm, I'm humbled by, by how much people want to support me. Like, everyone's out there just just, just breaking by, do you know what I mean? Like, people, businesses are going under. The amount of support I've had uh, from businesses, I mean, we've had a lot of a lot of interest coming on board to, to, to help me. And it's, like I say, it's, it's only my dream. It's nobody else, but everybody... Everybody seems to be wanting to help me, and um, I can't thank them enough. Um, come fight nights, I mean, I'll be plastered all over my kit, so you'll see them all. But uh, you can't thank your sponsors enough; they all know who they are. And uh, but like as well with the fans, I mean, all going well, we can get boxing back to where it was. It's, it's just like we can just camp club 2020. You may as well just erase it. Um, but like the, the the big fights are still getting made. There's a lot of big fights happening, and and all going well, I think it's June. We can start getting crowds back, uh, small off, show boxing, and really get back to where we are. So, fingers crossed, and, and, and we can be back where we were. We all, we all have our fingers and toes crossed for that one. But listen, yeah. Gav, it is an absolute honour having you back on. Like I said, it's been such a long time. Everyone that's listening to me, Friday 26th of March, that's when Gav returns to the ring. We'll all be behind you, supporting you to become a two-weight European champion, and I'm sure we'll yep. speak sometime after. Sometime. Yep, we will do, mate. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. We're going to start here with the fact that we have a new date for Jamel Herring against Carl Frampton. Not only a new date, but also a new country. It is taking place no longer in the United Kingdom in London. No, no, no. It's now heading to Dubai on April the 3rd. So all the best there to both guys. May the best man win. Zach Parker, he has signed a promotional contract with Frank Warren. That's really interesting because uh, he's number one in the WBO in, in the super middleweight rankings. So he's actually very, very soon going to be called mandatory for Billy Joe's title. So he perhaps is going to be in line to fight the winner of... Billy Joe and Canelo. 
Um, it seems like Frank Warren assigned him, and now he's going to be chasing after his former fighter, Billy Joe. Um, but I like Zach Parker. Very, very good fighter. Undefeated. Honestly, he gives a lot of people problems. Um, yeah, Povetkin versus White 2. That's been postponed, um, which is very unfortunate. It was going to be on... Uh, March the 6th, it's been postponed to March 27th, so three-week delay there, and it's been moved once again to another country, it's no longer taking place in London, it's now taking uh, taking place in Gibraltar, so that is quite interesting, um, also Maxi Hughes takes on Paul Highland Jr., that one's going to be for the vacant British title on March the 19th, that is a MTK global show, uh, Callum Johnson has signed with Frank Warren as well. It's another big, big move. Uh, Callum Johnson, you know, he's a guy that really has to get moving now. I don't think it's for any fault of his own that he's been quite inactive, but I think he's about 35 or 36, something like that. He needs to get moving. I think he's one of the best fighters that we have in Britain. Way, way capable of winning a world title. Probably the best light heavyweight in the country, bar none. So um, he needs to be pushed on, and he needs to be pushed on in big fights. It's a shame, though, uh, because, you know, there's a lot of fights domestically that I think people want to see him have. But for me, I think he needs to kind of look at world level because he deserves to be up there. And I think he's probably world ranked. He's got to be world ranked. I remember him dropping Baturbiev. Um, you know, not many people do that. Uh, but then he ended up getting stopped. And he's a great fighter. But again, in Frank Warren's stable, you've got Anthony Yard, you've got Lyndon Arthur. So there's there's big fights that can be made within that stable. Um, and we know that Frank Warren doesn't mind matching his guys against each other. That is it for the news part. Moving on now to the preview part. Starting here with a fight that's taking place tomorrow night, uh, Friday the 26th of February. It's taking place at the East Cessnock Bowling Club, I believe, in New South Wales, Australia. Um, it is a return to the ring for former world champion... Sakio Bika, uh, he hasn't boxed since 2017, so he's back after three and a half years-ish out of the ring. Um, yeah, all the best to him. He takes on Adam Stowe, who is six and two with two draws. Uh, I remember he was supposed to fight Nigel Benn, of course, but that never ended up happening. Uh, moving out now to New Zealand. This one takes place on Saturday. I think it's probably going to be around about midday UK time, maybe even earlier, maybe about 11 in the morning. Joseph Parker, 27-2 and for the vacant WBO Oriental heavyweight title against a man that beat him in the amateurs, Junior Farr, the undefeated 19-0 and heavyweight. That's a big fight there in New Zealand, on pay-per-view in New Zealand, but it's on the zone in the US and the UK now. Uh, John Parker as well, the brother of Joseph, the undefeated uh, brother. He's 5-0. and He's in a four-rounder on the undercard. Moving out now to the Copper Box Arena in Hackneywick, London. Over here, um, a Frank Warren card. We have Tommy Fury on the undercard. 4-0 undefeated. Um, no opponent listed just yet. It's apparently a four-rounder. Sam Noakes as well. He's 4-0. He's in a six-rounder against Delmar Thomas, who's 5-0. Somebody's own must go. Um... Casey Kadimi, he is 8-0. He takes on Ilyaz Ahmed, who's 7-2. That one's over 10 rounds there for the vacant IBF European Superflyweight title. And 
Kademi's WBO European Superflyweight title. He is trained by John Tandy. So all the very best to Kademi um, from myself and Eddie. And the main event, Anthony Kakachi, 18-1, a defense here of his British super featherweight title against the very gutsy in game, Leon Woodstock, 12-2. and um, If nothing else, Woodstock usually turns... Um, you know, turns things into a fight. My only problem is when he boxed uh, Zelfa Barrett, he wasn't really able to close the gap and he got picked off quite a lot and it was a little bit uncomfortable. Zelfa Barrett boxed unbelievably. Now, Kakachi can stand and punch, but he also can box and move. So it depends which kind of, which which option he's going to opt for. Um, if he decides to box and move, it might not be pretty, but... If he comes for a war, then it really will be brilliant. Leon Woodstock, I think, has, has said that he's going to be, um, you know, having a real all-action fight. And I think he even made reference to Hagler Hearns. So that's uh, that's uh, <laughs> it's not a very wise thing to do, actually, before a big fight. Uh, he's got a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, living up to now after saying that. Uh, moving out now stateside to the Shrine Exposition Center in Los Angeles, California, over here on the, no, nothing really to mention on the undercard, the main event, Anthony Durrell, 33-2 with a draw, he returns to the ring, I think, for the first time after getting blasted out by David Benavidez, I say blasted out, I think he took David Benavidez about nine rounds, um, I tell you, I've been trying to get all these all these people on the show recently, like this week particularly. Um, I tried to get David Benavidez on. That doesn't look good right now. Or oh, it's not going to happen this week, perhaps in the coming weeks. I tried to get Anthony Durrell on, um, and I've, I've, I've not managed to pull that off either. Both guys got back to me, but really busy schedules. Um, he's in a 12-rounder against Kyron Davis, who's 15-2. and two. I remember, um, Eddie, when Anthony Durrell was um, with us in the dressing room, you know? When he came yeah. to see Clarissa's opponent getting her hands wrapped, which was kind of weird. Like, it was weird, wasn't it? Because, like, <laughs> two women are fighting, and you've got a pro fighter who's a world champion in Anthony Durrell coming to inspect the, the hand wrapping. And then you, you know, a former world level heavyweight, fought for the world title, going to watch Clarissa get her hands wrapped. It's just, yeah. it's just, uh, it was fun. Strange. It, yeah, yeah it, was. It's, it's, it was cool. Um, and yeah, moving out now to the Hard Rock Stadium uh, in Miami, Florida, USA. This is the final card to mention. It is Canelo Fight Week. 54-1 and with two draws. Canelo puts his WBC and WBA super uh, middleweight world titles on the line against Avni Yildirim, who's 12... Sorry, not 12. It's a 12-rounder, of course. He's 22. No, third time lucky. 21-2. and two. Avni Yildirim, a lot of people are not happy with this one at all, Eddie, and I don't think you're probably going to be too familiar with Yildirim, so I'll give you a little bit of a backstory. He was undefeated, he's a Turkish fighter, he was undefeated, he went into the World Boxing Super Series, and um, he was a bit of a dark horse in the tournament, and in the very first round of the tournament, so like the quarterfinals, he came up against Chris Eubank Jr. Now, Chris Eubank Jr. was able to knock him out with relative ease, and everyone basically said, okay, this guy is no good. Um, I think it was it was quite early as well. I think it was, just to quickly check in, the third round, he, he got stopped. He lost everything before that as well. Since then, he's come back with, you know, a couple of mediocre wins. He actually, um, his last win was against Lalenga Mock. 
back in 2018. It was a majority decision over 12 rounds. Um, many people thought that he actually uh, was was you know done a favour by picking that one up on the on the scorecards. His last fight, Eddie, work this out for me, please. His last win was in 2018 against Lalenga Mock, who is. I think 47 or something like that, and it was very close, majority. That was his last win. Now, he had a fight after that, and he lost to Anthony Durrell. That's his last fight, 2019, February. So just over two years ago, he lost his last fight to Anthony Durrell. How on earth has he managed to get into a mandatory position for Sal Canelo Alvarez? (laughs) Explain that. (laughs) Listen, you know what? You know how to explain it? It's the business of boxing. If they if they want their guy to have a fight, and they want it to be a safe fight because they don't want to damage any ch- you know up any chance of putting together a super fight, this is what they do. They just want to keep him warm. They want to keep him ready. So I guess for Billy Joe or whatever the situation is going to be, they don't want to ruin the opportunity to make a big fight and to make a lot of money. I mean, I, you know, people some people don't want to say it, but the truth is that's what the truth. That's the truth. You know, you're going to put a guy in there that couldn't even beat a guy that said, I don't want to say that Eubank Jr. is not uh, a class fighter because he is a good fighter. He's talented and all. But, I mean, I don't think he has a good enough shot at beating a Canelo. But you're going to put the guy that he stopped in three fairly easy in with Canelo. Why would Canelo even waste his time doing this? Because he just wants to stay warm and stay stay active so he gets ready for the next fight. They're looking way past this dude. They're not even thinking about this guy. It's just another guy for him to look good against, make a couple million dollars, and and and, and go off into the sunset for a while. That's just the way this. That's the way this business is. It's, it's like trust me. There's so many t- things that I've seen. So many. Fi- it's just so many fights that I've scratched my head. Like why would he even fight him? But then you look at what happened with with um, uh, Josh Warrington fighting a guy basically in the same kind of a mode. Just like, why would you even fight him? It's a waste of your time. Then he loses to him. I don't think there's any chance of that happening here, but the reality of it is, is things like this happen all the time. You know what I mean? These kind of fights are made all the time. You get a little, uh, uh, a guy, it's not a mandatory, but it's a, it's a voluntary matchup that you want. You know, somebody you need to look good against them. You're going to make you look even more dominant. And then you get the big fight and then it sells more money. It's, you know, more tickets and, and just gets more, more people interested. That's all it's about. Trust me. That's it. Nothing do you, more. Do you remember, um, Eddie, do you remember Nathan Cleverly? Do you remember him? Yes. Yes, I do remember him. Now, he was like a good fighter, obviously. You know, he beat Bellew and, you know, he was a world champion. And yeah. he decided, and you, you you probably will know this, but you might not know the backstory. He decided, he was a world champion. He got a few defenses. He decided that he's going to defend his title against this undefeated but very much unknown Russian. Um, mm. But he had home advantage. But they didn't know much about this Russian, so they decided, oh, he's an easy pick. So they, you know, it wasn't a mandatory, it was a voluntary, and they picked out a Russian by the name of... Mm. Okay. Oh, not you, sick. Oh. Who was it? I know that's, that's... That was a while ago, so that had to be... Who was the Russian? I'll tell you. I remember that. I do remember it, but I just the, can't remember. The Russian smashed him to pieces and took the belt and then had the belt for a long time and defended it successfully a number of times. The Russian that they picked out... Oh, who, go on. Was it, was it, no, it wasn't Vasily Jerov, was it? 
No, Eddie, you're going way back. Listen, let me just say, they chose this Russian out the top 15 rankings. Who's this guy? Never heard of him. He's probably no good. Sergei Kovalev. <laughs> oh, come on. I do remember. Like, why? Oh, yeah, that's right. They were fighting at 75. What am I thinking? My bad. My yeah. bad. And, and you know what? That's what happens. You just pick somebody out of the hat. Like, oh, yeah, him, him. Close your eyes and point at a name in the book. Oh, yeah, give me him. That's, that's the dumbest shit you... Listen, I learned this early. You don't look at your opponent's record. You look at his. You look at you. You look at his record, but you look at the guys he fought and who they fought, and then who they fought. So you can really get an idea of who he really is. Now, doesn't always tell the story. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't. But if I you like don't that look, saying. huh? I like that saying that they say records are for DJs. I like that saying. Oh, that is a. That is a. Yeah. That is a, you know how many, man, uh, one of the first times I've ever seen this in my career that I've, I've seen a guy lose a fight to a guy who was like five, five and one. This guy was, his name was, uh, I forget what was his name. He's from my area. Um, Fielding was his last name. I think it was right now. He was supposed to, you know, go in and dominate this guy, knock him out. And the guy was five, five and one. And then I watched, and I'm like, man, this the kid, the, the the main guy that's supposed to be so good. It was a main event, got beat down by this five five and one guy, who obviously had better opposition than the guy who was fifteen and two. And it's just like, well, damn, why did this happen? And then I I, I couldn't understand how could this guy lose to him? Like, and I just looked at him like, damn, this guy must be really really good. And it's not so much that; it's just you got to look at who he's lost to. You know what I mean? Look who he lost. Like if he has a, a a bad record, look go behind the numbers. That's why like when you when you watch uh, uh you know when uh Teddy Atlas so you fight, watch Friday Night Fights back in the day or whatever, and Teddy Atlas would say go behind the numbers. You got to go behind the numbers, man. You got to look at what's going on. You know what I mean? In, the, in different sports, they say the same thing. You can't just look at the numbers and say, oh my God, they're great. He he's got a great record or he's got a bad record. You got to see who's behind it. You know what I'm saying? You got to know who they're facing or who they've faced. So you can see what's going to happen in the ring here. Now, styles make fights, so it doesn't always play that way. But the reality of it is, if a guy has 10 fights and he's lost half of them, you might want to go find out who he lost to first before you decide to make the decision on this guy as a fighter that you want to put your prospect in with. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, but, you know, getting back on track uh, that was a strange defense i remember another one and i'll keep it really quick here i remember um darren barker when he was world champion and i think this is a true story but if 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 you know if, if, if someone wants to check with darren then ask him but i'm pretty sure this is a real story he uh was was a world champion then all of a sudden someone in the rankings you know they reached out to him and said i want to fight you blah 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 so they this guy who i'm talking about his people reached out to Darren Barker's people, which was Eddie Hearn and stuff like that. I think maybe his training team, Tony Sims at the time. And they said, um, yeah, I want to fight you. I don't want any money for the fight. All I want is about 10 ringside seats. I don't want any money. I just want the opportunity to fight for the title. Now, when Darren Barker heard this, he's like, what? This guy's crazy. I'm going to have all the money in the pot. Yeah, let's do the fight. Well, when his training team did what they do best and did a bit of research and realized that the man that is asking for the shot is Gennady Golovkin, they turned it down. 
<laughs> you know, that just made me laugh. You know, that's just funny because, like, if somebody's that confident to say, hey, look, man, don't even give me money. Just let me get the opportunity for the title. I just need, I just want to see if I have what it takes to win the title. <laughs> you find out, like, wait a minute. I heard of this dude before. Oh, yeah, he's a world beater. They're like, you know what? Let's leave him alone. Let's, just, let's keep on, let's hold on to this gold a little bit longer. <laughs> That's just the way it goes, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty, if I ever heard somebody say that to me, I'm definitely going to go behind the numbers and check these people out. But yeah, they uh, they obviously turned down the fight on his behalf, and I think he says that's like the best thing that that's like the the best thing that has ever happened in boxing that they've turned down that fight for him. Uh, that was a very very uh, clever choice, um, considering what he went on to do. But anyway, back on to the to the preview in two or three last fights to mention. In fact, four last fights to mention on the undercard of the Canelo Yildirim. Um, card. We have Mark Castro. He is a prospect to look out for. He's 1-0 in a four-rounder against Raul Corona. Stay away from him. Two and three. Um, also on the card, Diego Pacheco, the undefeated prospect, 10-0. He's in an eight-rounder against Rodolfo Gomez Jr., who's 14-4 and four with a draw. Zili Zhang, he is the undefeated six-foot-six Chinese heavyweight who won a silver medal in the 2012 Olympic Games. He is... Um, 22 and 0 in a 10 rounder against Jerry Forrest, who's 26 and 4. Um, I'm not sure if there's any money to be made on Forrest because I think he'd be a big underdog, but he can either show up or or blow up. I guess is the right thing to say. Um, he is, you know, he's he he was quite bad against Carlos Takam. Um, people behind the scenes told me that he would beat Carlos Takam. He was terrible, so I'm not sure he's going to be able to put it all together, but. Could be interesting because Zilil Zhang, you know, not everyone's too high on him. And then the final fight to mention on this undercard, Julio Cesar Martinez, the Mexican um, massacre, they should call him, because he absolutely destroys everyone. He is 17-1, and defending his WBC World Flyweight title against McWilliams Arroyo. So a guy with quite a bit of experience at that top level. He is 20-4. and be a good fight, actually, this one for Julio Cesar Martinez. But even still, I don't see him coming unstuck. He is um, another guy involved in that Reynoso training camp with Canelo. And he looks unbelievable um, since since linking up with those guys. Um, but yeah, that is it, though, for the preview part of the show. We did the review in. We welcomed our sole guest, Gavin McDonnell. We did the preview part and the news just before that. That's it from myself and Eddie. The final thing to do uh, will be to come in with the out which I'll do in just a few seconds. Okay, and this wraps up episode 280 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A huge thank you to our sole guest on this week's podcast, the former two-time world title challenger, Gavin McDonnell. The biggest thanks of all, though, goes out to you, the listeners, for making this show what it is is one piece of news has broken whilst we've been recording the show and it's a piece of unfortunate news actually the Kakachi versus Woodstock fight is now off due to uh due to Leon Woodstock 
um, failing a coronavirus test, which is really um, gutting, I'm sure, for him. And it was going to be a good fight, so that's a big blow to the card. They are currently looking for a replacement for um, Anthony Kakachi, but if they can't find anyone, then Casey Kadami will be elevated to the main event, so that would be good for him. But that's about everything from myself. Remember to tell a friend to tell a friend about the podcast. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe, and we shall see you all again next week.